today it is uh, Thanksgiving season, and we're going to talk about gratitude today. So if you could turn your Bibles over to Psalm 95. I feel a little extra self-conscious today, to kind of be honest with you. Uh, this skit last week uh, about my preaching and others preaching, I don't really know, you know where all those things came from. I think they're probably true, but I, have my, I thought about forgetting my glasses, but I remembered them, so I don't have to tell Carter to get my glasses. And I don't know what this is going on, but... I guess it's true. So now I'm like extra stiff. Anyways, just, just got to be myself. You guys do, you know, you love us unconditionally. So, uh, amen. But uh, we're going to look at Psalm 95 and Psalm 100. We're walking through the Old Testament, and we're really this year, and we're kind of starting to wind down, but we're really doing this to get to know God. Who is God? And learning about God's character from uh, the Old Testament. And the largest book in the Old Testament is the Psalms. And Psalms are full of gratitude, full of worship, full of praise, poetry, communicating our hearts toward God. And so we're going to look at specifically Psalm 95 today, which talks a lot about Thanksgiving. And the title of our message is Gratitude as a Gateway. Gratitude as a Gateway. We're going to talk about how ingratitude is really the gateway to death. Uh, not just eternal death, but it kills our souls, being ungrateful, and how, but how gratitude is the gateway to life. So let's go ahead and read here Psalm 95, and we'll go from there. Psalm 95, verse 1 says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, Truly, they shall not enter into my rest. You know, we love the first half of that psalm, right? That's the, that's the good news. Grateful, singing with joy, praise, gratitude. It's all good. But the reality is that's not all of life, right? There's good in life, and then there's trouble in life. There's bad in life. And so I thought about, you know, maybe this sermon should just focus on gratitude, but that's really only half the story. The reality is our hearts easily grow ungrateful. Are you with me there? So the first point is ingratitude. Since the psalm talks about it, we're going to talk about it, okay? So ingratitude and how it really serves as a gateway to darkness, 
a gateway to dark things. So let's focus, and then we'll, we'll, then we'll, we'll work from bad to good, amen? We'll end with gratitude, and I even have some thank you notes for you today. I have about a hundred and some thank you notes, and you can guess where the practical application is going to go. But let's talk about the bad news first. So the Bible says here, he says, do not, verse 8, do not your heart in your hearts as at Meribah as in the day of Massa in the wilderness where your father's testing. What is the psalmist talking about? Well, he's talking about back in Exodus chapter 17 when the people of God were rescued from Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, and they were in the desert. And even though so many of the plagues of Moses dealt with the water, the water was turned to blood, right? Okay. And the people of God went through the water to escape from slavery, to escape the Egyptians. They were in the desert and someone forgot the water bottle, okay? Um, so what do we drink? There's no water. And so at this point, the people of God grew ungrateful and they forgot about who God was and they tested him and they tried him. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 17 and read about seven or eight verses here about what happened. And there's great insight into what happens when we grow ungrateful. Exodus 17, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. So by the way, is it wrong to thirst for water? Okay, is, is needing water, is that like asking too much? Okay, no, we're made to have water, right? So the fact that there was a thirst, the fact that there was a desire was not wrong. Okay, right? But what was wrong? Because once there, was, there wasn't water, the people started to grumble, okay? But verse 3, they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So there was a need, there was a desire, it was legitimate, but because it wasn't met, they started to accuse God, accuse Moses you know, really what you brought, you said you brought us out here to take us to the promised land. Actually, you brought us out here to kill us. It's all a big conspiracy. We know who you are. And I was like, dude, why would I, I don't, why, why would I risk my life in order to kill you? Like, this doesn't make sense. But this is what our desires, when unmet, can do. They take us to dark places. It's a gateway to darkness. So let's read on. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it. 
that the people may drink. And so God enters the equation. He says, okay, I, I know the people are thirsty. Let's everyone just calm down a little bit here, okay? And by the way, I handled the Nile, turned it from, to blood. I handled the big Red Sea. Let's go ahead. I think I can handle this one too, guys. Right? So God is communicating like, no, there's nothing. I, I, I got your thirst. Okay? I'll provide for you. Behold, verse 6, I'll stand it before you, and there in the rock at Horeb you shall strike the rock, water will come out of it, that people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? So let's talk about this a little bit. The word Massa means testing. It's test or it means temptation. Same word for temptation is actual test. And I do think this applies that when we are tempted, we haven't sinned yet when we're tempted, but we are being tested. We are being tested. The, te the, the test that the temptation brings, are we, which way are we going to go? The point is not pass-fail when it comes to a test, but the point is to learn what's really on the inside. Any teacher who teaches, right, you don't give a test because you want some to pass and you want some to fail. Like, I know I've set out my life to be a teacher so I can make students fail. Really? Like, I'm sorry, teachers don't make near enough money in order to have the agenda of failure, okay? They're, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to educate, but you've got to give a test in order to see what's going on in there, right? Are you getting it, okay? And so God, just like last week we, we learned with Job, right? Satan's like, he loves you because you give him all kinds of good things. He's not tested, right? And God says, go ahead and test him. I know what's in his heart. Amen? And, uh, and even of a deacon or an elder, it says they must first be tested. So as a people maturing, we're going to go through tests. We're going to go through trials because God wants to know what's really going on in our hearts. So they were tested in the desert, and what was on the inside came out. They could have been faithful. They could have responded with, you know what? We've been tested before, and God came through. Test after test, right? With Moses and Pharaoh, we've seen God come through over and over. And over. With the, the Passover and the angel of death, but we put the blood on our doorpost, and God was faithful. God loves us. With the sea, and the army's coming, and everyone's freaking out. Guess what? God parted the sea. He's bigger than this water issue. He was faithful. We saw the whole e Egyptian army get flooded in that sea and wiped out, right? So if God has been loving and God has been good and God has been faithful, then why should we think that all of a sudden he'd stop now? I know because he wants to kill us. See, right? It doesn't make sense. It makes sense when we think according to our flesh, but it doesn't make sense when we think about knowing God and who God is. So instead they grumbled, they were ungrateful, they grumbled, they complained, they demanded, they judged God's character, and they judged Moses' character, and they punished. They were about to punish. This is what we do when we set up. This is why we get ungrateful, because we 
think in our minds, I know what I want, and we can sometimes think we deserve this or whatever. By the way, we must be cautious when we play the deserve game with God. I would just caution all of us, because the Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death, right? So if we want to play the deserve game, we better have an answer for God to say, actually, what you deserve is to be already dead. So you maybe want to change that argument. Are you with me there? Okay. All right. So this is what we do, though. We desire, we demand, we judge, and we punish. It's ingratitude is a gateway to this death. Meribah means arguing, grumbling, complaining. And then it says something that's challenging for us to process. Because God is love, right? God loves his people. God is gracious. God is merciful. So what does this mean where it says God loathed that generation? Have you thought about that? Are you uncomfortable with that? Should be. Well, how, wait a second. That's just Old Testament. Hey, God doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. It's not like he was a big bad God in the Old Testament and nice, kind, sweet Jesus in the New Testament. God doesn't change. If God's changed, then he wouldn't be God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do we process this? Oh, the Bible's just not the Word of God. The wrong answer, Okay. What we got to do is we got to think, we got to look deeper into what does this mean, okay? The word loathe, we think of loathe as hatred or maybe a fitter age, okay? I hate you, but that's not what it means. It actually means more along the lines of grieved or broken. So God, when he saw the mistrust of the people, it grieved him. So he was grieved over this generation that refused to believe. Does that make sense? We grieve because we love. If we don't care about something, when we lose it, we don't, it's like, oh, whatever. We grieve, and a lot of times anger can be a form of grief, a stage of grief, because we care, because we love. We have better things in mind. Does that make sense? So God wasn't throwing a fit of rage at the people. He was broken. He was grieved. And he still longed for them to repent, but they continued to refuse to repent. And it says here, it says here that they erred in their heart. They erred, verse 10, for 40 years, I loathe that generation, and said there are people who err in, they, in their heart. They do not know my ways. They erred in their heart. It seems to me that God was not into subjective truth. It seems to me that he was saying that they were wrong. This is something that we have a very difficult time in our society today in saying that something is wrong. But if we can't say that anything is wrong, we have lost all hope because God clearly is a God of morality. He's, there's right and there's wrong. There's righteousness and there's sin. There's light and there's dark. Are you with me there? There's no way. I'm sorry, but if I go through a stop sign and kill someone, I 
was wrong, right? It's like, well, whatever the stop sign meant to you, that's what it means to you. Actually, no, the stop sign means stop. Well, I don't like stopping. Okay, then you shouldn't be driving a car in society because now you've put the whole society at risk. You've ever been through that, right? And this all, you know, back in the, I mean, it's just, it's a slippery slope, guys. But the question is, is there a right and is there a wrong? Yes, there is. And it's very interesting. God said, you are in error. Your thinking about me has been wrong. And I tell you what, I've had spiritual breakthroughs. Pretty much every spiritual breakthrough comes from when I realize how I've been thinking about God or about myself or about the Word of God was Okay? So, the, so, so this is the days of Fonzie, right? You guys know Fonzie? The older guys are like, yeah. The younger people are like, is he okay? Do we need, you know, what's happened to us? Fonzie couldn't admit he was wrong. So I was, I was wrong. Okay, so, but at some point, if you're going to have a spiritual breakthrough, you got to say, I was wrong. I erred in my thinking about God. And boy, when we can say that, it's like a gateway to incredible blessings and growth. God says, you're just wrong in your thinking about me. And why were you wrong in your thinking about me? Because you didn't know me. You didn't know me. And this is where the people of God always goes astray. It comes back to not just our desire to stray. It comes back to our thinking about God. We just don't know God. Yep. And we, we need to get to know in a, better, in a deeper way who he is. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Okay, so ingratitude. We gotta, let's deal with this more at a practical level. Ingratitude, all right? Philippians 2, this is, uh, uh, if you're around our family, this is, uh, uh, this is, this is a favorite verse. So the, the, see, Dad doesn't preach on Sunday mornings, right? Okay, Dad preaches a lot, okay? In this one, hey guys, do everything without grumbling or arguing or grumbling or complaining. Do everything. That means do the dishes without arguing over who's done more or complaining about it's not my turn, I did it last week. Did you dirty a dish or did you just eat with your hands? You dirtied a dish, why do you think you should not do the dishes? This is, does not compute, right? <laughs> okay, so, so do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. How much grumbling and complaining goes on in our society? Oh my goodness, think of the grumbling and complaining at your school, on your sports team, at, your, at the office, right? So what do you do? Do you join in with that? Oh yeah, and what a, let me add to that fire. Or do you say, you know what? That all may be true, but I'm not going to grumble, I'm not going to complain, I'm going to control what I control, and I'm going to work hard, and you will shine like stars in the universe. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Um, Romans chapter 1. 
This, this gratitude issue is very, it's a gateway. It's a gateway in gratitude. Boy, we're still on the first point, aren't we? It'll go quicker. Romans chapter 1. We've got to get to the good news. Okay, it's coming. But it says, oh, I'll read it, NIV. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality. So who he is? His character, okay? His eternal power and his divine nature. So it's who he is and it's his power to carry forth those qualities, okay? Have been clearly seen, being understood what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Now listen, when we, when, listen to what happens when we don't acknowledge God is God, I'm not God. So I'm going to stop glorifying myself and glorify God. And I'm going to be grateful instead of ungrateful. But when, we're not, when we don't give thanks, look at what happens to our thinking. It says, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So one of, the, one of the symptoms of not glorifying God and not being grateful is you think that you are wise. You th- so it's, you think that you have a right to complain, etc., etc. Does, does this make sense? Your thinking becomes darkened. So it's a gateway to the dark side, Yoda might say. Although they, uh, they claim in exchange the glory of the moral God for images made to look like mortal human being, in birds, in animals, in reptiles. And so this is the, what's called, it's a very famous section called the progression of sin. Read the rest of Romans 1. And so God, God tries to communicate. He tries to resist the ingratitude and the dark path you're going down. But when, you, when we refuse to listen to God, when we harden our hearts, Psalm 95, as they did in the desert, then he, after a while he says, okay, well, that's what you want. I'll let you go to your own devices, and then at various levels. It's called the progression of sin. Ingratitude is a gateway to discontent, to apathy, an eventual refusal to worship, to a hardened heart. We stop listening to God. We stop listening to our conscience. What's the first thing? Remember the first time you stole that candy from the grocery store? Remember how you felt? Guilt. Oh, I feel guilty. But then, but then what happened? You say, oh, not that big a deal. You rationalized it, and your heart just went a step harder, and then a step harder. You stopped listening. You stopped obeying. You started going your way, and we try God's patience. Okay, well, let's get to the good news, okay? Psalm 95, uh, back there. Actually, I want to read Psalm 100. Gratitude, the gateway to life. So if ingratitude is a gateway to darkness, gratitude is a gateway to life and peace and joy and happiness. Listen to this psalm. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Psalm 100. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. So gratitude, the gateway to life. Here in, here in Psalm 100, and then back in Psalm 95, it says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. But then it says, for, verse 3, for the Lord is a great God. Wait a second. We're only, are we supposed to only come into his presence with thanksgiving, 
because of all the good things I'm experiencing in my life, because of all the amazing gifts he's bestowed on me. That's not what the Bible says. It's not about our circumstances for which we should come and worship God in thankfulness. It is because of who God is. That is why we should come and worship. Well, I lost my job this week, or I got sick, or my foot broke, or my car broke, or I got an F, or you know, I got fired, or, or I didn't make the team, or, or whatever. Okay. A lot of times we think of thankfulness as associated with blessing. A Christian thinks of thankfulness associated with the blesser. Amen? And we're thankful for who God is, not the circumstances in our life and not what God has done for me. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 actually says to give thanks in all circumstances. What? All? Because I got a lot of circumstances that I'm not very thankful for. Hey, there's this discipline that even when you give thanks for trials and hardship and consider them pure joy, there's something that goes on in your heart. It's a gateway to life. It's a gateway to life. Well, that's easy for you to say because all of your life's all good. Really? You, okay. How, how would you say that? You don't know my life. Okay. I heard so. Well, you just got it all good. Oh, really? Anyway, I'm not going to be defensive. Okay. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because our God is great. Our God is great. He's our maker, Psalm 95, 9. He's our owner, Psalm 95, 4 through 7. He is good. God is good. It's in his character to be good. He's greatly good. He's only good, and he's only good all the time. In his goodness toward us, you say, well, I don't, I don't get much goodness. He's good. He's good. There's a reason. There's a purpose. It may look bad, but it's going to turn for good. He's, God is loving. God is faithful. God is eternal. This is Psalm 95, Psalm 100. Just a few characteristics of God in these two Psalms. We could go on and on and on and on and on about the character of God and His qualities and His attributes. Okay? So worship is our appropriate response. So when we're grateful because of who God is, what do, we, what do we see? We're shouting for joy. We're singing. We're offering. We're praising. We're blessing God. What emotions are we feeling? Gladness, joy, security, and rest. Those are the emotions that gratitude is a gateway toward. There's an old saying that if you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be speaking on terms with happiness. Excuse me, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. Probably the other way too, but it sounds better that way. The language of gratitude. And this results in service. Romans 12, 1 says our worship of God is laying our lives down, offering our lives on the altar. Use my life, God, whatever way you want. This is my prop, true and proper uh, worship. So I want to talk just a little bit about how to construct the culture of gratitude in your might, in your mind, in your heart, in your home, in your life. And this is going to go real quick. It will be done. Then you can get your thank you notes. Okay. So how do you how do you how do you create this culture in your mind, in your thinking? Because it really does start in your mind. Okay. Um, you got to see God. Okay. First, see God. It's easy to see circumstances. 
It's easy to see. Oh, I'm, I'm already sick of winter. It's not even December yet. I see the temperature. I see the snow. And I'm like, seriously, I'm going to be snow blowing again eight days a week this winter. Okay. It's easy to see all things like that. But do you just see that or do you see God behind it? See God in him. Okay. Do you see God or you just see what's wrong? Okay. Secondly, see the good. See the good. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Whatever's true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good, of good repute, excellent, praiseworthy, dwell on these things. In your mind, you, what are you dwelling on? What's ruminating in your mind? Okay? I don't know. Over here, over here, back. Okay? All through there. Okay? You actually are in control. You can, through the spiritual disciplines, channel your thoughts, which then channels your emotions to God, and to go dwell on these things. Paul wrote this when he was in prison. Paul wrote this book of Philippians when things weren't going well. Paul wrote this when churches were falling apart. Ministry wasn't going well. Life wasn't going well. He was single. Didn't have kids. A lot of things not going well. His most loyal friends betraying him. <sighs> Give thanks in all circumstances. Right? I mean, Carter and, and Chase portrayed this pretty good for us. Yeah, you're going to cut my legs off too? But that is a good saw. You're going to cut, cut those things off with, okay? Um, anyways, don't miss the banquet next year, okay? Uh, true and honorable to think about these things. So see God, see the good, and thirdly, say thanks. You know, there's, there's this uh, one marriage counselor who's been studying marriage and families dynamics for years and years. He says, I can tell when I get with a couple within five minutes, if this marriage is going to flourish or if this marriage is going to flounder. You want to know what it is? It's the ratio of positive, grateful communication or negative, critical complaining about the other. Which describes, and he says it should be five to one positive to, to negative. we got to deal with the negative. That's just not real if it's all cotton candy turn a blind eye. That's not real, right? The Bible does it that way. But what, what's the ratio? Is it positive? Is it thankfulness? Is it gratitude? Is it seeing the good? Every single human being has good in them and has evil in them. Every one of us. And so do we see the good in them and dwell on that more? Or do we see the negative? That's your choice. That's your choice. You say, well, you don't know who I'm married to. I don't. But you still have a choice. Okay? Say thanks. So see God, see the good, and say thanks. I'll finish with the story, okay? John uh, Rob, Richard Carlson, Ph.D., was an author, psychotherapist, and motivational speaker who became famous with the success of his book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's all small stuff. Do you guys heard of that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? I heard that back too, right? It was 1997. This book became one of the fastest selling books of all time. It is divided into 100 brief chapters. The last chapter is entitled, Live This Day as If It Were Your Last. It May Be. Carlson lived his last day on December 13, 2006. He died of a pulmonary embolism during a flight from San Francisco to New York, leaving his wife and two teenage daughters. Carlson said that he ended his book with this chapter as a reminder of how precious life 
and loved ones are. He wrote, quote, I often wonder when listening to the news, did the person who died in the auto accident on his way home from work remember to tell his family how much he loved them? Carlson started the 100th chapter asking, when are you going to die? 50 years, 20, 10, 5, today? Last time I checked, no one had told me. He died suddenly and unexpectedly nine years later at the age of 45. 45. I wonder, did he tell his family? So guys, I got some thank you notes. We're going to set them uh, on the door as you go out. Hey, Mike, they're back there actually on the table. Uh, please grab a thank you note. And what if today was your last? Who should you write a note to? Let's have this season of Thanksgiving be actually just that. Let's watch football. Let's eat turkey. But let's say thanks. Let's say thanks. Doesn't need to be poetic. Doesn't need to be beautiful. Just needs to scratch out a few words to say, I just want to say thank you. Watch what it does to your mind. Watch what it does to your heart. Watch what it does to your joy. Watch what it does to your mental health, physical health, spiritual health. Amen? Let's let gratitude be the gateway to life, not ingratitude be the gateway to death. Amen? Love you guys. The message is yours at this point.